1: This is Safe For Later from Guardian Australia, a podcast about online culture and the tabs our brains can't close.
3: I'm Michael Sun.
1: And I'm Alex Gorman. Today, we're talking about something I've been trying desperately
4: to avoid. So these people have never met each other ever, and they get paired together and then they get married immediately. One might even say at first sight. And it's, um, it's actually obscene.
3: But first, Alex, I'm so excited that I get to finally talk to you about my favourite topic, my obsession, I would say. Something that I like to do in my spare time is collect photos of celebrities reading books. Specifically photos, I would say, of it girls reading it fiction.
1: (laughs) Are we talking like the really self-conscious Instagram shot of me holding my book or are we talking like a paparazzi on the beach book up bikini shot?
3: It is truly a mixture of both you know like sometimes it's a selfie sometimes it's a very staged and very curated paparazzi shot but it's always like the hottest person on earth holding the most esoteric piece of alternative literature you know it's just the book is a social status it's Giving them credit is giving them like 500,000 kudos points in the eyes of book as accessory. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this specifically today because the it girl of all it girls, Ms Dua Lipa herself, gay icon and British pop star, has posted her reading list of her favourite books.
1: Okay, talk me through, talk me through the reading list. What what books are we signalling here?
3: Okay, so she started a newsletter, first of all, called Service 95, which already is this, like, wild and crazy thing for a celebrity to do, I feel.
1: The hottest girl on the hottest year doing the hottest substack.
3: Exactly. It's a newsletter that's all about, you know, like cultural recommendations from around the world. It's all very chic. It's all very cool. She's posted a graphic called Doer's Favorite Books um, through the Service 95 Instagram. And amongst these books, let me just read out some of these books to you. The Vanishing Half. Okay. Like, you know, that's expected.
1: Oh yeah. Brit Bennett got a, you know, won the awards. Personally, I think a deeper cut, you go the mother's instead, makes you look smarter. But anyway, continue.
3: There's a book like Pachinko, again, very buzzy book, being made into a series, Lisa Taddeo, Animal. Like, these are all, like, very normal books. And then you get into the second layer of Dua books, which is, like, Shuggy Bane. Shuggy Bane! (laughs) Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart is on this list. And may I just say, most egregiously of all and most hilariously... None other than A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, the (laughs) ultimate signalling book.
3: And this is not the first time that Dua has posted about this book. She also has a famous and iconic selfie of her in an extremely colourful bikini, lying on a beach rug, sun dappled, just like, you know, soaking up all the summer rays, holding an extremely thick copy of A Little Life as like sun protection.
1: (laughs) I swear to God, A Little Life is the book that every celebrity chooses to signal with. Like most famously, Anthony from Queer Eye wears the shirt that actually says the names of the four main characters. But I have seen so many stars holding it or citing it as like the most brilliant read they've ever
3: had. I do have to admit that I have actually never read A Little Life, <laughs> despite <laughs> despite obviously having a copy on my bookshelf for purely signalling reasons, as I'm sure, like, anecdotally, there was a period in my life when I was living in inner-city Sydney and I could not go on a walk anywhere without seeing, like, a copy of A Little Life just in the street bookshelf or, like, in someone's, like, um, street pickup pile or, like, as street bounty. There was just, like, it was literally everywhere and whom's among us has not posted a bikini clad photo holding a little life as sun protection you know like it's the ultimate hot girl accessory
1: so what obsesses me about like a little life as this style thing is i too have not read a little life because i'm aware of the contents of that book and it's mostly about child sexual abuse and is a completely harrowing read, apparently, and I do not need to put myself through this, which is why when I opened up the page of a really hip inner-city Sydney boutique hotel and saw that they had a (laughs) bedspread shot with a coffee and a croissant and then a copy of A Little Life on the bed, I found that to be particularly hilarious because it speaks to, I guess, a problem at the heart of celebrity book signalling, which is like... Are people actually reading these books? Like, do they know what that book is about?
3: Look, this is a topic that also swims around in my brain all the time, right? Whenever I see a photo, I'm like, my first thought without fail, are they reading Dua Lipa? I do not believe so. She's famously holding up the book completely unopened, purely covering her face. Meanwhile, though... Um, continuing this trend of hot girls loving a harrowing read. One of my other favourite photos is a photo of Kendall Jenner sitting poolside reading a copy of Darcy Wilder's Literally Show Me a Healthy Person.
1: (gasps) Phenomenal. So White Lotus
3: obsessed. So White Lotus. the, The photo looks exactly, exactly like a photo of Sydney Sweeney reading at the White Lotus Resort. Like, it's almost uncanny, and I think it might have actually been one of the inspirations for when Mike White decided, you know, like, what books were being curated into that show for the characters to read. Um, there's also, of course, that photo of Gigi Hadid reading The Stranger by Albert Camus, or rather, I shouldn't say reading, she she was papped holding a copy as her and fellow sister, fellow Hadid, Bella Hadid, um, often are seen holding copies of just, like, extremely intellectual literature in their hands.
1: Please tell me it was in French. Was it Le Stranger?
3: I wish it was in French. Um, But sadly, it was in English. I'm so sorry to disappoint you. Je suis désolé, as I believe my U7 French teacher would have said to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, hot girls love a harrowing read, or they love to be seen being harrowed. I I think that's been true since the days of, you know, when... Eve Babbitts and Joan Didion, like, they they used to be the It Girls. The It Girls used to be authors, now they're just fans, now they're just readers. And how boring is that, Alex? It's true. And all of these examples don't even touch on the darker, really commercial side of it all. Like, reading is camp, Alex, reading is kitsch, and Hot Girls should be seen reading. Um, I think it's way, way, way more insidious when you see the rise of... Celebrities who form these multi million dollar book empires. I'm talking about, for example, everyone's favorite book empire queen, Reese with a spoon, who well-known, infamously snatches up books before they're even published to eventually option them for feature films and TV shows and then promotes them.
1: Such a queen book signaler that she got featured on Younger, the <laughs> amazing show about the publishing industry by Darren Star. Exactly. So much better than And Just Like That.
3: <laughs> Everyone knows that being featured on Reese Witherspoon's book club is a golden goose, right? Like that's your ticket to success. She will promote the hell out of the book so much so that she can eventually turn it into a movie and and reap the rewards. Like it's it's this very strange self-feeding machine, the likes of which I don't think we've really seen before. And it's quite different from like Oprah's book club, for example, which is another famous and huge empire, but Oprah isn't doing this weird, insidious, snatching up books, buying them, optioning them, and then promoting them. It's like weird, self-sustainable model. It's like she has a monopoly.
1: So an example of the opposite of this is my favourite non-celebrity celebrity reader, No Name. She's a rapper who was blasted on Twitter a couple of years ago for not knowing what capitalism was. And then she started... Reading. And that reading led her to more reading, which eventually led her to founding the No Name Book Club, which has become the primary thing that she does now. Every month, they assign two different books as reading material which are sent not only to no name book club members but also to prisons so that incarcerated people can read them these are radical texts that change the way that you think about the world change the way that you do things the books that get sent to prisons are bought from primarily black owned bookstores so No Name is an example of someone who has clearly actually read every book that she's talking about because these books have radicalised her. She's become an anti-capitalist activist on the basis of reading. And now her whole job is not to make money, but to share ideas.
3: Do you feel like celebrity book singling is almost a way of them wearing their politics on their book sleeve?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think it's a way of wearing your politics without actually being that political. It's just kind of small L liberal lip service, but it still makes you look smart. It still makes you look political in a way. And then you think about it for a second and realize that it's totally hollow.
3: True, 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 true.
1: So, Michael, given that this is your obsession, I have to know, like, have you ever bought a book based on a pub shot?
3: I literally bought Darcy Wilder's literally Show Me a Healthy Person because of <laughs> the photo of Kendall Jenner reading at poolside. I wish I was a hot girl. You know, I've been eating anchovies. I've been ring Darcy <laughs> Wilder. I've been taking bikini shots with a little life. Please, God, like, just let me achieve my dream.
1: So did you like the book?
3: I haven't actually finished it. Like, I just... <laughs> of course you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, some dear friends are going to launch us right into the middle of my personal seventh circle of hell, the heterosexual hell, um, so they don't have to endure it alone. Plus, our recommendations for this week are coming up too. Alex, it feels like we just can't go a week without talking about something hateful. We are today talking about Maths Married at First Sight, the Channel 9 reality TV behemoth, currently on its shocking ninth season and extremely famous for just the amount of toxic discourse it generates every single day on the internet i feel like i can't go a day without seeing headlines about this show i am just going to read out to you two that i've (laughs) seen on my feed quite recently so you have an idea of what i have to suffer through in my experience of scrolling um Internet rips apart arrogant maths groom. That's the first one. The second one says, the internet is defending maths daddy Anthony after Slynn apparently called him a princess.
1: I've seen the headlines. I too have the Daily Mail on my RSS feed. I understand that maths has 1.659 million viewers, which makes it in Australian terms bigger than Ben-Hur, the biggest show, but I absolutely refuse to watch this show. I truly believe from... My avoidance of it and skimming these headlines that it is not good for the world.
3: <laughs> Thankfully, we also have two other people who have watched this show and put themselves through a whole bunch of heterosexual nonsense. We do have, of course, Patrick Lenton, writer and deputy arts and culture editor at The Conversation and frequent contributor to Her Majesty's (laughs) Queen's The Guardian herself. Uh, We're also joined by Beck Shaw, comedy writer for shows like The Weekly and Hard Quiz and many more. These are two people who only do it for the girls and the gays um, and they're doing it in our inboxes every week via their newsletter, All the Heterosexual Nonsense I Was Forced to Endure, where they recap reality TV, so they really are the experts in
4: maths.
1: <laughs> I, have, I have a kickoff question, which is, why are you doing this to yourselves?
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, people pay money to see us put ourselves through hell, <laughs> uh, basically. It's kind of like the online culture version of gonzo journalism but instead of like going anywhere and like you know taking acid and writing about it or whatever we just watch maths uh, (laughs) and and recap
2: it.
1: I'd take the ayahuasca camp any time over this.
2: Yeah well it does make me want to die so it is similar in that way.
1: So I actually pulled rank on Michael in order to continue my like maths avoidance and forced him to watch an episode.
3: I think being put through hell is the correct way to describe it. Um, It was actually giving workplace exploitation when (laughs) Alex forced me to watch an episode of this show. Um, I think the most hellish part for me, though, was when... I watched the premiere of this current season of Maps, and I was like, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. And then halfway through, suddenly my brain chemistry shifted. Mm. My <laughs> boyfriend was like, let's go to bed. I was like, no, we have to start <laughs> the second episode. <laughs> I mean, I feel like these shows are so good at exploiting your brain chemistry. Like, is that is that why they've become appointment viewing? Is that why they've become almost like must-see TV for Australians?
2: Yeah, I think so. But also like Australian TV always does this where they'll take a concept like Survivor or MasterChef or something and then instead of doing a show a week, it's literally on four times a week. So I feel like maths is it gets into your brain and then is also on all the time so you have no space to think about why you're watching it. It's just like, oh, it's on again. We better tune in. It's on again. Oh, it's on again. (laughs) (laughs) Can you guys give me a quick water
1: cooler cheat sheet to this season?
3: The heroes, the villains, the racists, etc. Mm, <laughs>
4: mm, mm. <laughs> A whole bunch of couples get paired together. So these people have never met each other ever, and they get paired together, and then they get married uh, immediately. One might even say at first sight.
1: Are they literally getting married? Like the contract, the whole deal.
4: Well, they're not legally binding marriages, but the wedding's there, and uh, and then they have to immediately move in together. And then it just seems to be this horrible sort of experience where you are living with a stranger who is also apparently your spouse.
1: Are they all living in one big house together like Love Island or Big Brother?
2: No. No, their own houses. And that's one of the dark things about the show, I think. The bachelor is, you, it's sort of all in this fantasy land, and the person who is the bachelor, or bachelorette is in charge and they can send people home. Like they have the power. In maths, these people are paired together, so it's a one on one, and then they're left being with that person and trying to make it work. So you have people like Andrew, who's dating Holly, is one of the main villains of the season.
0: She's a beautiful girl. I was absolutely attracted to her when she was walking down the aisle, had a massive smile on my face. Um, But, yeah, on her honeymoon, I wanted to try to get closer to her and have some type of intimacy, and we still haven't even kissed yet.
2: He is paired with someone who came into this being, like, very vulnerable, and she's had... Like, she really wants a baby and a husband.
1: Because we had slept together, we were kissing when that happened, so...
0: Well, no, there was absolutely no tongue involved. It was just more like kissing on the mouth, like pecs, and, like, that's not an intimate kiss for me. I like more than that. It was awkward to me. I didn't feel like she was present during the process.
2: And so he's he's a man who, for example, they had sex, and he told her that... And that he had more from a one-night stand.
0: I felt like I've been more connected to people on one night stands than what I was with when we were intimate.
2: And then when she complained about that, he's like, I'm not going to walk on eggshells around you. I'm being honest. And like, I'm not sure what he's going to get out of this, except for my undying hatred. <laughs> Wait, do they all hook up? Do they have to? You don't have to. I but would hope some
4: not. do. You don't have to. That would be. <laughs> Very illegal. Yeah, that
2: seems bad. <laughs> but that is one of the aims. Like, they do... Yes. Like, that is one of the things they get asked about by the experts, of which there are three people pretending to be expert or experts in something, but it's ruining society.
3: So, basically, these experts put the couples through various tests. Some would call them sadistic experiments, um, like asking them to rank their partner's attractiveness, for example.
1: Sounds healthy. Yeah, it's... It,
3: it,
4: it's all kind of like pitched as this idea of like a social experiment and these experts are all sort of like, hmm, hmm, what can we learn about intimacy from this horrible experience that we put you through? And it's um, it's actually obscene. It's like, um, it's kind of like watching three scientists sort of poking a bunch of monkeys or something.
2: And I do think there is, because on the show there's a couple called Jackson and Olivia, and so... There seems to be, like, they're a great match and they've really hit it off. They both seem very nice and sweet in the similar sort of ways. Olivia used to be fat and so she's not used to men being nice to her at all and she has huge hang-ups about it. So these are the sort of people they're sending in, like people who are, like, vulnerable and she's been paired with someone who's a very sweet man, like, that can work but the problem comes because it's a TV show. They don't want everyone to have a nice man or a nice woman so there will be no conflict it will be lovey-dovey. So that's when you get, I would say, most of the other pairs are either deliberately or negligently paired with people who are going to cause these, like, huge events.
1: So you say negligently but isn't it, more hostile than that. I've read criticisms of previous seasons by Clementine Ford, among others, that say that the show actually glorifies and makes entertaining, really toxic relationship dynamics. There have even been accusations of emotional abuse on the show.
4: Yes, such as um, uh, there's a couple, Selena and Cody, who have probably been the most in the news uh, lately.
1: And then I just noticed on our honeymoon, he didn't touch me, kiss me, Um, or show me any form of, like, attraction.
4: And Cody has basically admitted to not finding her attractive because she's Asian. Oh! So, okay.
3: Uh,
4: It's, um... I think it did, honestly, have something to... did play at it initially. It's not... I'm not racist by any means, but it's not something I'm familiar with, like, To be honest, that, yeah, short answer, that probably did. So, yeah. And obviously, that's something that would have been pretty obvious to the producers. And so, when they put them together, that was with the idea that they can use, uh, without being defamatory, you know, racist types of views as a way of creating TV conflict, Um, and, you know, that's that's pretty upsetting. (laughs) How did that make you feel when he said that?
2: Didn't feel great at all. It's that thing where I think we go into it, and, and especially this, the experts, like I know it's contrived in every, you know, Big Brother was a social experiment, you know, they try this on all the time but this one they they you've got to give it to them cuz they're really committed to making you try to believe it's a social experiment mm. there's a character i will call him a man who exists named al who he, so this is an example because the experts are like where we've spent months matching these people and it's just so blatant It's so blatant and annoying to me that they try to push this. When they put together a guy who still lives at home, his mum does his cooking and his washing, he's 25, he's never had a relationship. And so they pair him with Sam who's like this nice 27, young professional looking like she just wants a serious boyfriend and they put together this guy who did a shooey at the dinner party that nobody asked for. I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was sober and he just was like... What are you doing? I'll try to break the tension. I'll drink a beer out of my disgusting shoe in a restaurant. Why is his shoes on? No, was it was in a restaurant. <laughs> it was like in their dinner party thing.
0: Oh, oh, we have beer in a shoe. <laughs>
2: And I'm like, how can you then be like, this is a social experiment, we've tried to find her match. Well, we
0: haven't seen that before.
3: Um, The experts are even presented in the show itself as like in this, like in what I would say is quite a villainous space. Like I feel like every (laughs) shot we see of them, it's like the three of them around a table plotting and scheming (laughs) and they have like photos like digital wild card photos of like all the couples, and then like mixing them. It's it's really creepy. One stro- stroking a white cat.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're part of the the viewing. Like you watch them watching the dinner. P- it's like a v- weird goggle box, like babushka <laughs> doll, where you're watching the these experts watch footage of the two people you're watching relating to each other. As Natalie
4: Bassingthwaite once said, I see you watching me (laughs) watching you.
3: (laughs) I want to know what the casting process of this show is like, because casting agents are the backbone of society (laughs) slash reality TV. (laughs) If I'm the
1: backbone of society, you mean slowly breaking it?
3: (laughs) Exactly. just
1: (laughs) chipping away at the backbone of society.
3: (laughs) Well, I think, like, that's what the show does so well, and I don't mean well as in ethically good, well as in effectively, (laughs) is that this is a show that loves, loves cancel culture. Like, this Mm -hmm. is a show that, you know, I feel like at every turn is begging for Pedestrian to write 10 articles trying to cancel them. And the headlines speak for themselves. Like, I feel like... Even I saw the um, things about Selena and Cody, which became this huge media storm about people, you know, like calling out MAPS for encouraging racism. Last season there was, I feel like, there was a, a big controversy around how MAPS was encouraging biphobia on TV. But I think maybe controversially, like all of these takes, when they're being written and, and, and espoused on the internet, it just feeds into the media machine that is MAPS.
4: I I think I I think you're right because they do not uh they never aspire to kind of with like things like The Bachelor mm-hmm. where there is an idea of this show is about like actual romance and it is about fantasy romance and it is about people making sort of genuine connections and all this sort of thing whereas Masters like even though they shape it around the social experiment thing what they're really looking for is drama uh, and they give the the opportunity for drama at almost every single episode whether it's you know just between the two of them or there's um like there's regular dinner party episodes where all the couples get together and have a dinner party which is like a a horrible kind of like simulacrum <laughs> of what I imagine straight life is. Um, and, uh, and then they all bitch about each other. <laughs> and then at any point, um, the experts will come and judge everybody and like, and poke them and be like, so Timothy, you said this, let's, you know, let's talk about it. And then suddenly everyone's crying, you know, and you're meant to kind of hate everybody, I think.
2: The difference to me is like The Bachelor, they send contestants in that might cause drama and might be bad or in some way, but you still, the power dynamic is still so clear. Like if that person annoys The Bachelor, they'll send them home. This is like we're sending in a person we know will conflict with this other person and then we're going to force them to spend all their time together. And often it's not... The Bachelor is like 25-year-old Instagram models who are not really there for this. But this show has literally, this is what I think is my last chance at love because I've been divorced three times or because I want to have a baby and I'm older. Like it's real, like it's real lives and real people's lives, which is so different. Like the conflict feels much worse to me. It's much darker. Could you
1: talk to me a bit about like what you see as the relationship between the show and what people are saying about it, because it seems like there's like a very high component of hate watching when it comes to this.
4: I think, I think that's definitely true. And I think it's also very indicative of the, like the gap between kind of online discourse and what we might call regular Australia viewing, because I think more so with any other show, you'll see the way that um, MAPS is reflected in the media and on like social media like Twitter or something is completely divorced from what the ratings uh, are telling you. You know, it really does seem like uh, in perhaps like Beck and I's sort of friendship world, no one's watching MAPS. And in fact, we polled our um, readers who we on our newsletter for The Bachelor, and most of them were like, Oh, we don't watch maths, but we'd happily read you watching Mass, because that would be really funny. And it's like, isn't that interesting that there is a gap between bachelor reality TV watchers and mass reality TV watchers? Mm. So the online discourse is fascinating because it is so perhaps divorced from what people are actually thinking.
2: No pun intended. <laughs> Divorce.
4: I'm really interested by
3: um, this gap that you mentioned between the quote-unquote quiet Australians and the loud gays on Twitter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. I think something that is weird to me is that watching the show when you work in the media, it's so obvious to unpick the cogs behind the show it's like you can obviously see that the producers have arranged people who would obviously hate each other together but do you feel as if the average I mean and I hate to like even describe this person because like for all we know that if it's not a real person at all but like the average viewer of maps, how much media literacy do you think they actually have
4: I don't think it's really even the issue because I think that what brings people back to reality TV time and time again, is that despite all the cogs, all the engineering, the strings that, you know, that could be very, very visible or very, very hidden. What it all comes down to is that these people have still by their own impetus, put themselves into this situation and are still saying and doing these utterly cooked things. And no matter how they are, pushed or prodded or pulled into that situation there's still that moment where you get to watch someone just utterly utterly humiliate themselves or conversely have a you know a a remarkably wholesome moment or you know um just you know do the funniest thing that you've ever seen in your entire life and it's that that spark of authenticity that um that is impossible to kind of uh impossible to engineer, I guess. That's what makes it compulsive viewing. So it doesn't even matter how much media literacy there is because it's so hard to find, I guess. Oh no, hard to quantify. Okay. So
3: just returning to the name of your newsletter, obviously it's called All the Heterosexual Nonsense I Was Forced to Endure. It begs the obvious question, what is the most heterosexual nonsense you have seen on this season of MAPS?
2: Well, there was discourse around Dominica, who's one of the contestants, was talking about how she's, how her partner is not sexually interested enough in her. The intimacy's gone to shit. It has been quite a while since we have been intimate. The last time I was on the honeymoon, I tried to initiate sex this week, but nah, Got nothing out of it and it came out is because she had her period and he was, like, freaked out by her period and having sex with her. I've never
4: slept with someone on their period before. Mm.
2: As well as all the other men in the room who were freaked out by the discussion.
4: (laughs) Um, so, wait, so, so she wanted to have sex on her period. Which is fine. But it's fine. I stopped trying because I wanted to take a step back. I was like, okay, she's on her period. I'll give her a space. Like, oh, you
0: know, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah right. Of course, they get moody and shit. Well, it's not even that, dude. It's <laughs> no. not that. Oh, oh okay, okay, yeah.
2: It's not that. And I was just like, are we really having this conversation? Like, first of all, it's extremely personal. But the fact that all these grown men who are, like, in their 30s or whatever were so freaked out by a discussion about periods, I was just... It's been a no-go zone for me in past relationships.
3: Yep. It's like,
4: they're on, they're on the period. Okay, That's cool, it. I'll give you space. Look, I've, I've done it before. And you know what? It's a big thing to get your your head around. Like, oh, it's crazy. It's, have you tried maybe just trying to have a chat with us? It like, just
2: what, exactly how different our lives are, I would say.
4: A similar sort of thing is that... The other, the most heterosexual nonsense thing that I had to endure was um, when uh, Andrew, who we've talked about quite a bit. To be completely honest, in a roundabout
0: way, you would benefit from my experience in the
4: bedroom. Cool. But he said that, you know, despite having slept with more than 350 women and sex is like really important and he's, you know, criticizing his bride for not being good at it, he said there's one rule. There are some things off limits. like, no pegging. I'm not, not pegging. like, down going down that road with you. And that's that he, he will not let her peg him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. OK, I don't know what that no, is. No, I, okay.
0: I... have it, to Google It's it. not that I... Okay. I was just trying to make it... Oh, OK, yeah, yeah. OK, cool. Um, but the
4: interesting thing is... Um, there was a massive spike in Google searches for what is pegging immediately <gasps> after that episode. So I'm just like, well, I guess that's the social service of some sort. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of untouched prostates out there um, ready to, uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to to be finally
0: touched. You know
1: what? Like, I get it. Yeah. That's cool.
0: I appreciate that.
1: And I appreciate you wanting to share that with me. Happy. And it's fine. There's no judgment. <laughs>
3: I'm so glad we've had such a good chat about the master prostate pipeline. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, and Patrick, for coming
4: on our show.
2: No worries, thank you.
4: Thank you so much for having us.
1: So, Michael, I know that Shuggy Bane is probably at the top of your list this week, but I'm (laughs) going to push you for another recommendation as well. What have you been loving this week? Top
3: of the list for me this week is a movie called Drive My Car, um, directed by a Japanese director called Rusuke Hamaguchi. It's just been known for a couple of Oscars in what Industry Punches saw as like a shock twist, but it's just such a good movie. It's three hours long. It's based on the Murakami short story, and it's about a man and a theatre director dealing with grief through working with a very large and sprawling cast, as well as his personal driver, who he forms a wholesome and meaningful relationship with. It's just a really beautiful movie. It's worth the three hours' runtime.
1: That sounds really intellectually challenging.
3: (laughs) Alex, do not watch it after you've had two and a half wines, like me. You are likely to feel very tired. (laughs) Uh, But even even so, push through. What is your top of the list this week?
1: Uh, So my top of the list is... Pure, unadulterated, yum, yum, yum garbage. It is Inventing Anna, a Shonda Rhymes driven dramification of the story of famous New York socialite scammer Anna Sorokin. It's set at a fictional version of New York Magazine called Manhattan Magazine (laughs) that they have copied the New York Magazine's font of exactly. It is so OTT and so ridiculous but the actor who plays Anna Sorokin whose name I am currently blanking on but Julia Gardner is incredible she's so deadpan she has the best bad German accent it's just such a delightful Shonda Rhimes binge watch
3: and also can I just say like obviously I know we should stop rewarding actors just for physically transforming into their subjects but she really looks like Anna Sorokin like it's uncanny (laughs)
1: so i guess that's it for today we're ending on a scam love it thank you all so much for listening
3: if you like the show you should absolutely subscribe to save the later wherever you get your podcast i promise we are not a scam
1: You can also leave us a review, good vibes only. This
3: episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Joe Koning, who also handcrafted the music.
1: And our executive producers are Miles martin and Steph Harmon. We're
3: going to be here again next week, working through our tabs yet again.
1: So join us. (laughs)